Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. Welcome In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Good to have you along with us today. As we talk orange sports with you and other sports for that matter, whatever might be on your mind is fair game. If you'd like to chime in by phone at 437-7644, that is 4ESPN44. Show brought to you as always by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance and one of the very few places on earth where it can be 71 day and accumulating snow the next, getting our share of that. And uh, looking back at an orange basketball game that was a defeat to another 10 uh, North Carolina last night. Carolina's sixth consecutive win, 78-74, the final in the Carrier Dome. And uh, we will uh, rehash that with Mike Waters of uh, Syracuse.com coming up. We will also get to the various tweet storm that typically comes in after a loss. After wins, you get them, especially after exciting wins. There's plenty. After a loss, everybody's got the answers and uh, likes to point out the problems and all of that good stuff. We will go through some of that. It was a uh, predictably preposterous tweet storm following the game last night. And uh, maybe yours made the cut. If you're uh, hopeful of that, we'll uh, we'll take a look at some of those. Is this a cut you want to make, though? Not necessarily. Hey, and I'll, let me just have a disclaimer right at the start. These people are passionate. They're keyboard warriors. They're fighting it out. They're doing their best. Everybody's got a take, and uh, some better than others. So God bless them for trying and for caring. That uh, certainly beats the alternative. We're just going to kind of get into them a little bit. Last night in particular, sometimes I do, like on the road, I'll get into it on the tw- on Twitter after the game because what else am I doing? Yeah, I'm going to, back and I'm going to the bus. bus yeah, yeah, right. So I'm on the, the bus, and typically on the bus we're crushing the Chick-fil-A. By the way, first day of Chick-fil-A in central New York today. Welcome, uh to the new world. It's an exciting uh, development in the area. And then, uh, you know, on the bus, you you get your crush on, and Coach Saddle and I usually, we get on our phones and we're looking, you know, he at the scoreboard, me on Twitter, whatever, we're trying to follow what, what happened in all these other games that we missed while we were locked in on the Syracuse game and, and those types of things. And then I'll get into it on, on the Twitter with uh, people that have their reaction, their questions, their takes. On the home games, I've got work to do after the game. I go back to the office for a little bit, and I'm uh, it's a long day, typically a, a little uh, kind of over it and tired. And last night just didn't have the energy to kind of mix it up with people and had my hands full with other stuff. May have still done it had I not had uh, other time commitments. Got to get those orange slices done after the games as well. But uh, So we just sort of postponed it to the show today, and we'll – get into some of those and we'll talk uh, with Mike Waters as well. I want you to hear from uh, Coach Beheim too and certainly uh, his comments after the game. You know that they're going to vary from the fan comments on it but I think we all know this game in essence hinged on one play. Syracuse was down the entire game trailed literally like 38 minutes 
of the game by as many as 12, fought back, tied it with just more than three minutes to go at 74 and did not score the rest of the way. But uh, the biggest play of the game is off a missed three-pointer. Pascal Chuku gets a long offensive rebound, and then he's stuck, attempts to dribble it, which is really never a good idea for a big man and certainly not one in space there. He had options. It turned out to be a steal and a layup at the other end for North Carolina and uh, the game-winning points scored by Joel Berry. And uh, Coach Beheim points out how disappointing it was for the game to come to an end that way. It's very disappointing to have the ball, 70-point game, and give them the ball. That's just not a good play, and it's very disappointing. These guys played their hearts out as they have all year long. And again, North Carolina is a tremendous team. Well, Carolina is a tremendous team. They had averaged in their five-game winning streak 90 points a game. They'd been rolling people. Syracuse held them to 78. Orange, for the most part, have been slowing the opposition uh, game in and game out. But in this case, fell a little bit short against a, a team with a bunch of players that were in the national title game last year that had 15 offensive rebounds. They were able to uh, convert that. And uh, while Syracuse got great performances from the three 40-minute guys, just unable to get enough done. It was a very off first half for Tyus Battle. He wound up 0 for 5 from the game in three-point range. I think four of the five attempts were in the first half. And while he did drive in the second half, kind of going to that, really showed what was possible and what the Orange were uh, capable of in the second half and it brought him back into the game. He got to the basket a little better. A little bit easier, and I think that was probably the big difference. He uh, missed his threes in the first half for him, didn't take any in the second half, got to the basket. I thought that was the difference. It's hard to get there against this team, but he, he did a good job of it. 26 points for battle on the night, and uh, so many of the points he scores are hard. He lately has been trying to, and he's almost playing up to the officials arguably too much, but uh, he's a great free-throw shooter. Certainly, that's an easy way for him to get points. It's a way to sort of hedge his bets on tough shots. You can take a tough shot in traffic, but if you're fouled, uh, you can get to the line and get an opportunity to do something there. He probably doesn't get as many fouls called uh, against his defenders as he should, but uh, the Orange just did not have enough against a Carolina team that got all it could have imagined from Theo Pinson in particular, Luke May as well. You knew Luke May would be a factor coming in. Joel Berry as a guard uh, had a great game, but uh, Beheim addressing uh, particularly Pinson, but also May. Pinson, who'd had just a half dozen three-pointers on the season, was two for two last night. They're really good down there. they got tremendous players. Pinson had a tremendous game, Barry. Those guys have played for the national, won the national championship. They have 41 points. They're tremendous players. Two, uh, can't say enough about them. I thought we did a good job on everybody else, but uh, those two guys were tremendous tonight. Yeah, Pinson and, and Barry. And then one guy that was probably an overachiever for North Carolina last night was Sterling Manley, the freshman who's been playing better of late, hasn't been a huge factor this year. They don't get a ton off their bench. But uh, he sort of played the role of a Louisville's Ray Spalding, somebody like that, 6'11", long arms, and uh, able to get the rebounds and convert them. Uh, the Orange, uh, in this case, were just short with the measuring stick being very high, all right, in uh, North Carolina, the number 10 team in the country. And while we're going to get to the theme of the fans and the the overall 
disappointment, I think, that we sensed on Twitter and from the, the fan base last night. Coach Beheim was asked if he was encouraged, and why wouldn't he be as his team in the end of the game was point for point with uh, one of the hottest teams in the country. We won at Miami, we won at Louisville. Nobody thought we could win either game. So, yeah, I'm absolutely encouraged. We're playing good, playing really good basketball. North Carolina's been playing really good defense. We shot 50% in the second half. I thought we did the things we needed to do to win. You're a 70-70 game, and you give the ball away. That's just not a good play. Can't make those plays. Well, you can't make those plays at any time, really against anyone, but uh, when the margin for error is so small against the better North Carolina team, uh, the Orange could not overcome that with a uh, late mistake made and uh, all that work to get back into a tied game to uh, see the momentum swing back into North Carolina's favor was uh, insurmountable at that stage. That being said, the performances are becoming consistently strong here. There have not been since that recent dip, Virginia, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, of not having much going for them on the offensive end, things have changed. I know there was somebody last night, we'll get to it. You know, Bayham hasn't made any adjustment. Yes, he has. <laughs> they, they have changed the offense. They, they are getting a lot more. Uh, they're making shots, too, which is helping, but they're also uh, running the offense in such a way that uh, is – providing those driving opportunities, uh, for instance, for uh, Tyus Battle. It's getting O'Shea Brissett going, and it just hasn't been enough to uh, beat the best teams. But uh, the idea that you can beat the teams outside of that is there. This will be a very difficult test for the Orange at Duke on Saturday as they travel to Durham tomorrow and play the Dukies at 6.15 at Cameron Indoor on Saturday night. Duke absolutely laid the wood to... Louisville last night, and Louisville, as you might understand, has uh, maybe making some steps toward uh, packing it in for this season. The uh, bad news to the program doesn't necessarily impact these players, but just kind of a blah atmosphere there with uh, more than likely interim coaches and short-timers and sanctions being put on. This is a year to forget for Louisville basketball. All right, we'll get into it with Mike Waters when we come back. His thoughts on the game last night, what's ahead for Syracuse with three remaining regular season games, and then to New York and Brooklyn for the ACC tournament. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Saturday, the Orange head to Cameron Indoor for a meeting with Duke. Coverage starts at 4.30, tip-off at 6 on TK99 and ESPN AM 1200. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. And we welcome you back in the booth here on ESPN Radio Syracuse here until 3 o'clock today, back tomorrow, travel permitting. I don't know that the weather is much of a concern in Tobacco Road, but it may be here. So if uh, travel's adjusted tomorrow, we will adjust on the show as well. Always flexible is our friend Mike Waters, brought to you by Oswego County Mutual Insurance. Hello, Mike. Matt, how are you? I'm good. And uh, you'll be traveling to uh, Durham tomorrow, I'm sure, as well, right? Yeah, headed down there. Uh, you know, can't wait. It's always fun to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium and soak up the the tradition, the history, and, the, you know, just the, the unique place that it is. It is unique. You can say that again. I saw that uh, Brian Higgins, who has the uh, women's basketball game tonight at uh, North Carolina, was uh, there last night sending pictures from the Duke-Louisville game, which was – just uh, a stomping 
as uh, Duke <laughs> is really rolling and uh, Louisville appears maybe to have checked out some. Yeah, don't know what exactly is going on with Louisville other than, you know, part of it is the, the schedule's tough. You know, they, they've lost to some, some good teams. They're probably looking back at their home losses to Florida State and Syracuse as a couple games that might have mitigated their, this, I think they're two and six over their last eight games. Duke, on the other hand, <laughs> Duke's rolling. Uh, they've, they've won three or four in a row. You mentioned how bad they stomped Louisville. Uh, they beat Virginia Tech, which is playing good right now. Um, they beat Virginia Tech pretty handily uh, a week ago. They yeah. they score, and they're doing it all without maybe the number one pick in this year's draft. Pretty incredible, right? Marvin Bagley is out with injury, and Grayson Allen has been moved uh, to the point guard position as the ball in his hands a great deal and has been dominant. He had 28 points last night. Duke has won... Uh, four in a row overall, and has won its last three home games by at least 22 each. So uh, That's good, right? Well, you know, obviously we'll spend most of our time talking about Syracuse. It is good. And <laughs> to, more, more to the point is, and there's pros and cons of this, but right now when Syracuse absolutely needs to win games, they're running into, you know, Virginia aside, who has just uh, a couple losses for the entire season, the hottest teams in the league. Now, Carolina's won six in a row with its win here on the road last night, which is a good win for them, and uh, Duke four in a row. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a double-edged sword for Syracuse at this stage. They need a big win, and they had an opportunity last night, and unfortunately, it was, you know, they ran into a good team, a really good offensive team, and man, Carolina had it roll and big time offensively for about the first 30, 35 minutes of that game. You know, of course, the comeback by Syracuse was, was yeah, outstanding and you know, really made it a thriller at the end. But uh, now going down to Duke, you're, you're playing a team that's uh, statistically anyway even better than Carolina offensively. They're, they're scoring just as many points in conference games, uh, Duke is. Uh, they're leading the ACC in both field goal percentage and three-point percentage. So really tough challenges for Syracuse here this week, but at the same time, it's the kind of opportunities that Syracuse needs in order to enhance its NCAA tournament resume. Well, that's why it's better off having the position than they're in. And otherwise, if you had the same record and the same sort of data, but your remaining games were against the middle of the pack or below, you wouldn't have the quality out there that really would make much of a difference or, or put you in position to win. That, that's why yeah, I, some, I think, some schools like that are having to sit around and just win every game, even sure. though it's not helping them much and, and then trying to get to their conference tournament where maybe they'll get another chance. I think my take on this, Mike is, you know, for all the talk radio and people want to do in terms of uh, figuring it out and bracketology and there's a hundred some odd brackets and the bracket matrix and all this stuff. Great for them. To me, it's going to be clear cut. They're going to play the games and to me, the borderline is this, you know, kind of the line of demarcation. If Syracuse beats beats BC and Clemson and that's it, they're 20 and 13 with a 9 and 9 regular season conference record. That's pretty much right there, the 50 50 borderline. I wouldn't hold my breath. You're making the tournament. It wouldn't be unthinkable if you did. If they get BC, Clemson, and one win in the ACC, now you're 21 and 13. You're probably in with that. And right. Clemson would give you. Uh, the top win. Uh, if you win at Duke, that's huge, but you still have to find another one. But to, to me, the, the formula is reasonably clear here uh, for Syracuse, and they're just going to have to 
it's kind of one of those determine their own fate things. They're just going to have to win the games. Yeah, they're going to have to win the games. And no matter what happens in the last three regular season games, the ACC tournament is obviously the last big opportunity for them. And depending on what they do over these last three games, they might go down to Brooklyn in need of one win. And maybe it's not even a spectacular one. Just don't, uh, you know, just, you know, don't mess up, get one and you'll be okay. Um, It might be a situation where no, they're going to expect you to, you know, the NCAA committee is going to be looking to see how you do on Wednesday of tournament week. You know, maybe if they're in an eight, nine game or if they were the 10 seed and, and they beat Pittsburgh, then, you know, how do they do uh, on Wednesday against seven? I don't know. The thing is, I love looking at all the bubble talk. I love comparing resumes. Then again, I, that's me. Right. <laughs> um, I do know that I, I understand completely though. These games play out and, and, you know, we'll just have to see, and none of it's being done in a bubble either. That's why, you know, when I get asked by you know some fans if they win two of their last three, do you think they're in? Well, I don't know because I can't tell you on Twitter whether Southern California has finished four zero or not, or I, I can't tell you what Baylor has done or what Texas has done. You know, none of this is being done in a vacuum. So. I really try not to, you know, get into absolutes when, when we talk about what what Syracuse has to do to get in. Basically, try to win the next game. <laughs> You're always in uh, in better standing with that. Mike Waters is our guest. Oswego County Mutual Insurance makes that possible every uh, Thursday at this time. You know, I understand why the fans are disappointed. We're going to get into uh, some of their own words here later in the show. I think if you're around it all the time and you see all the games like we do and you, you watch a lot of games, you can really make the case for it being encouraging. Walking to the parking lot last night after a, a four-hour radio broadcast with Coach Saddle, and we're both talking about, hey, look, I don't know if they're going to make the tournament, but you can see a path where if they get into the tournament, they can beat people. Because not all these bubble teams, and to me this is a big part of the committee process, not all the bubble teams are capable of beating North Carolina as Syracuse just showed it is. I mean, that that always comes to me when it you hear the moaning after the fact that not enough of the small programs got in. Well, the small programs, they might have had great seasons. They typically aren't suited to beat the big boys. I, I agree with you on the fact that if it wasn't so late in the season and the, and the win wasn't so uh, needed – and so close, it would be encouraging. It was definitely an encouraging. Church played great last night. I talked with Eric Montross, um, who's the color analyst on the North Carolina mm-hmm. radio broadcast, and you know Eric, being you know a former player at North Carolina, I always enjoy talking with him whenever Syracuse plays North Carolina. So he and I were chatting before the game briefly, and he said, "You know, for North Carolina, if they make shots, because if this team makes shots, they're really good." And if they don't, then everything you know gets to be a little bit more of a struggle, and they don't look as good. Well, you know what happened last night? North Carolina made shots. They made shots. Syracuse did not take advantage of North Carolina having a bad game or, or Carolina having one of those games where they go through the motions on defense. Carolina played good. They shot like 55% from the field in the first half. Mm-hmm. Syracuse ratcheted up its defensive effort the second half. Those weren't just shots that weren't going down for North Carolina the second half. Syracuse's zone, I thought, took over. They, they were playing great. They had a Carolina team that was playing well on the ropes. And in the last three minutes of the game, just couldn't get that one more bucket that they needed to, to pull off the upset. I think on the whole, that says a lot about Syracuse. 
Yeah, if this was, a, you know, first of all, if it's a January 15th game, no brainer. You'd be like, all right, great, right right in there uh, with North yeah. Carolina. Let's bring on the rest of the season. But uh, certainly the circumstances now make it a little bit different. Uh, the stat sheet, as you might expect in a game that uh, wound up being just a four-point game, close in a lot of categories. I think if Syracuse makes one more three, gives up one less, gets one or two more rebounds, they win the game. But uh, the fact of the matter is that, that did not happen. And uh, they wound up uh, short, did not score the final three minutes and seven seconds in a 78-74 loss. We're going to get into some of the uh, tweets that I got uh, last night. Mike, I was wondering if I could maybe you, – you're certainly welcome to chime in on any of them, but uh, I was wondering if I could borrow one of yours. And, and uh, you got today, what if O'Shea keeps getting double-doubles? Are we going to lose him to the NBA too? <laughs> I don't know, I think was my answer. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, it's – it's really hard for me in the in the season, and I almost said in the middle of the season, but we're not in the middle anymore. But I, I, I find it hard to talk to players, especially the young kids. Hey, uh, what are you thinking about your future? What are you thinking about your sure. future? I mean, where do you go for that? Uh, you kind of you know don't talk to them about that, you, especially right after a game. Uh, uh, yeah, right after the game, you know, when they're when they're upset and mad and and exhausted and emotional, now's the perfect time to ask O'Shea Brissett if he's leaving for the NBA. Um, you know, we, we 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 talk to those around the kids sometimes when it becomes more obvious. But you know, the best example I have for people with with why it's silly uh, to to worry about it right now is Johnny Flynn when he was a sophomore for about two weeks, swore up and down he was coming back. Not thinking about the NBA, coming back. He wasn't even giving one of those, I'm waiting till it's over, or I'm not thinking about it right now. <laughs> Johnny, God bless him, said he was coming back. Well, then it turned out he was a top 10 pick. And, you know, when the season ended, he left. And he should have. It was good for him. So, yeah, I, I kind of play it slow on these things. The story's not breaking now, and I kind of hedge, and I don't. You know, we'll we'll, we'll see. I listen. It, it comes down to whether they're a first round picks or not. Whether it's O'Shea Brissett or Tyus Battle, and then sometimes kids are like willing to take a chance on themselves. And even if they're not guaranteed to be in the first round, like if Jeremy Grant went second round, it worked out for him. But you know, we'll see what happens. If, if they're first rounders, you get it. You know why they're leaving us. If it's beyond that, then it comes down to a personal choice. And I would sure. say if O'Shea and Brissett aren't, and Tice Battle aren't pretty much guaranteed to be first rounders, I'd be surprised if they did go pro. But I think they can both be, you know, move into the first round with another year. But we'll wait and see. Well, I agree with you on that. And I guess the the thing that just kind of piques my interest or makes me laugh more than anything is, well, what do you want? You know, well, if he keeps if he uh, if he keeps getting double doubles, then you know we're we're going to lose him. He's going to go pro. Well, do you not want him to keep getting double doubles? What is the what's the precise output from a player that helps your team yet keeps anybody from noticing? Or, or for, you need a Matt. You yeah. you are going to have to come up with a mathematical formula <laughs> that shows that if Shoshaper set scores six points and only gets seven boards. Uh, and Syracuse wins a certain percentage of the time. That's good. And that, that way, he doesn't get the yeah, double play, doubles. Plays at eighty you percent. Know. But I, I, I dare say this, and I, I feel like a jerk even even pointing it out this way. The NBA teams, they all have scouts for a reason. They're not flipping through box scores the way you think, right? They're going to the games and talking to people and going to practices. 
they are looking at the way he plays, and uh, I don't think he's necessarily going to sneak up on people or uh, all of a sudden they're gonna. it's going to come across their ticker. Oh, gee, this guy's 16 and 12. Maybe we should draft him in the first round. Not how it works. There were eight NBA scouts at last night's game, and several of them that were there, I'm – I'm almost becoming personal friends with. They've right. been at so many games this year. I, I would imagine over in, in Syracuse's ACC games, there's probably an average of five scouts per game. And I'm going low. Sure. Um, well, a lot of times the function the I mean, opponent. they're there. I mean, they, they watch these. Sometimes these scouts walk in, and it's like I'm amazed at how well they know, not Tyus Battle, but and not even O'Shea Brissett some, you know, these guys come in and, and they take notes on, you know, guys like Pascal or Marek even, sure. uh, you know, they're, they're very well aware of everything because what they want to do is it's not for this year's draft. They, they want to get a baseline on kid and a read on him now uh, and, and then see where he is in a year from now, maybe. Well, it gives so, you an idea how to project a player. If you say, well, this is how he advanced from his freshman to sophomore year, then maybe, you know, his first or second year pro, and if we're going to have to store him in Europe or whatever, you know, the way right. various uh, NBA teams develop players. So, uh, all right, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it uh, a ways off, but I, I found that particular take a little uh, a little funny, and we'll get into a few more here a little bit later. All right, man, you have a great day. You Enjoy well. those tweets. All right, we'll see you, but we'll see you uh, in Durham, and uh, safe travels to Mike and Donna and Dennis, the entire crew there from Syracuse.com can uh, read their work, of course, uh, leading up to and following the game. We'll come back with Joe in a bit and then your tweets on Syracuse basketball. That's as we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Get on the block with Brent Axe. Raising a puppy and raising a child are very interesting. Talk a lot about pee and poop. That's basically what it comes down to. The first two years of a child's life and the first year or so, maybe a little less than that, of a puppy, it all comes down to pee and poop. Did the puppy pee? Did the puppy poop? Did the puppy pee? Did the puppy poop? She peed? She poop? On the block with Brent Axe, 4 to 6. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, 1200 AM, and 1440 AM. Live from the DBOffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait, the other thing. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care Here's Joe Salzone. He's going in for another year. The Colts have signed kicker Adam Vinatieri to a one-year deal worth over three million dollars. It will it'll uh, it will be Vinatieri's twenty-third season in the NFL. The forty-five-year-old just fifty-eight points away from passing Hall of Famer Morton Anderson's top spot on the NFL's career scoring list. Impressive how good he has been for how long, 23 years, and he's got a kid in college, maybe even out of college now, and uh, still kicking, and obviously he will, uh, if he has any season at all and doesn't have any injury, he'll pass uh, Morton Anderson with ease, but uh, when they don't have many kickers in the Hall of Fame, Vinatieri certainly is one that uh, has every right to be there when his career is done. Number three on that list, one of my favorite orange of all time. Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson, kicker. Who had the record himself before Morton Anderson would have beaten, uh, would have passed him. Are they all kickers? The top scorers, sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah, John of course they are. John Carney, Matt Stover. Yeah. John Carney, barefooted kicker. Jason Elam. I'm trying to, yeah, yeah they're all kickers for guys. Of course they are. Sake. They have more chances to score points, Polly. Do the math. What a stupid, stupid. <laughs> 
stupid stat. Every time somebody else scores, they get to go out there and <laughs> kick the score. So they have that. Plus, they have field goals. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson joining the Yankees' summer training camp in Tampa. Wilson made the announcement earlier today on his Instagram account. Wilson played minor league baseball in the 2010 to 2011 season. Yeah, uh, Russell Wilson's obviously a very impressive guy. Played in minor leagues in the Rockies organization. He's been in uh, training camp uh, in spring training with the Rangers. And, you know, this is not uh, exploratory toward him actually playing for the Yankees or playing uh, big league baseball, but a chance for him to kind of uh, keep those connections. And I've read where he talks about using it to pick the brains of the training methods in baseball and relaxation and focus and different types of things, you know, cross training. God bless them. There aren't a lot of guys that would be able to play two sports at any level where you could go hang. I mean, he's not there as a fantasy camper. He's going out and actually going through the drills and playing. Is he a major league caliber player? No. Is he a minor league? Yeah, he's probably a double A caliber player or maybe a little bit better than that. And he gets the opportunity to uh, to go out there and hold his own. I don't think if you were watching uh, spring training right now and in infield drills that uh, Russell Wilson would stick out as a, uh, a guy who's totally out of his league. And uh, to be able to do that and, and to maintain the skills, the agility, and everything else that you need to do uh, to play at the major league or close to major league level in two different sports is uh, really impressive. So uh, congrats to... Russell Wilson, it'll be kind of cool to watch. I can tell you, number 15 on the scoring list, Jan Stenerud, could not have played both sports. Probably not. You don't, you don't think he was super <laughs> I just wanted to crowbar Jan Stenerud. No, but he's the only kicker in the Hall of Fame, right? I don't know. Yeah. Now you're going to have to make no, me Google send you on that one. He certainly was the first. He might be the, I think he's the only kicker in the Hall of Fame. Well, Paul, uh, while uh, Paulie searches for that, classes at a pencil. Paulie doesn't have any actual research techniques or anything bookmarked. <laughs> According Every, to everything he does, <laughs> literally everything he just Googles, he types it in question form into Google. Starting from scratch, a classes at a Pennsylvania middle school had to be canceled after a student was found sleepwalking in the building. State police arrived at 2.30 Wednesday morning after getting calls about the student who apparently made the four-mile walk from his house to the school completely asleep. The district actually canceled classes over security concerns. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Obviously, everything's going on in our schools right now, err on the side of caution, but how is it even possible that somebody walks four miles in their sleep? Uh, is unaware of it or, you know, and then how did he get into the school? He he uh, broke in through a window. Well, that you don't break into something in your sleep. Yeah, I would uh, I would think not. Come on. It's a pretty good excuse, though. I mean, how, how could the uh, cops say otherwise? Common sense. Well, it's Pennsylvania, though. Well, you're, you're the one with Pennsylvania that's, place. That's right. Uh, Dewey Cares brought to you by Cam's Pizzeria. Cam's, love it for a slice. And, and the stupid bumper stickers that you guys have. Does anybody have more bumper stickers than you two guys? Grown <laughs> men I'm, I'm in the grown men division. I don't have like funny bumper stickers. I know you have stupid bumper stickers. That's what I'm saying. Although you might, you'd be the one, Polly, if anybody. Oh, I missed. That's the first miss in two weeks. I got myself all riled up with jokes. Ray guy. Uh, yeah, he's a punter. He's a punter. Lou Graza. Groza. Groza. Yeah, him too. Lou the toe. George Blanda. Landa, but Groza and Blanda played other positions. The foot and Jan Stenerud. Yeah, Jan Stenerud's the only pure place kicker in the Hall of Fame. Vinatieri will join him. Probably some others. You look at right now, the kicking is just so much better than it ever was. Our friend Dave Jacobs, 
who's up here, kicked at Syracuse, kicked in the NFL. And uh, with all due respect, Dave, God love you, a tremendous human being. Uh, his stats would pale in comparison. Some of these, these guys, they're automatic. You, you know, Dan Bailey, like uh, for the Cowboys, and some of these guys that r- right now active are statistically among the, the most accurate uh, kickers of all time. I mean, just regularly bombing in. If it's not over 50 uh, yards on a field goal, it's good for a lot of these guys. And uh, I, I would think in time, you know, as people say, if it's a position on the field, it's worthy of being in the Hall of Fame. So good effort for those guys that will soon get there. And Vinatieri's going to get one more, one more year of $3 million. Why not? Hmm. Beats real work. Ray Guy averaged 42.4 yards per punt in his career. That's a Hall of Fame career right there. Really? I would have thought it was more than that. Yeah, he averaged that. He punted seven seven times for 299 yards in a Super Bowl. All right. Now, we're, when you get into punt individual game punt <laughs> stats, I think you've pretty much means it's time to so go to the record break. 111 Thank you, Joe. Hit the button, Polly. Stop talking. <laughs> ESPN Radio Syracuse. This Saturday, it's Syracuse Lacrosse right here on ESPN 97.7. The Orange welcome Army West Point at 2. Orange pregame at 1.30. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth. Are we out of music? We don't do music anymore? Well, there we go. It's very subtle. Brought to you by CH Insurance and Burdick Toyota. Back tomorrow, good Lord willing, with a show at 2 o'clock. Looking ahead to the uh, Duke basketball game. Also, Syracuse uh, men's lacrosse in the Dome with the uh, matchup against Army Saturday at 2 and uh, before we get to the tweet storm, we'll welcome in Doug in North Syracuse, who apparently wants to get to other lacrosse. Hello, Doug. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Um, number one, I just want to say you do an outstanding job of broadcasting games. Just well, I appreciate it. And Thank you, your partner sounds so incredibly much like Danny Shays. Man, those two could be easily mistaken for one another on the air. Hmm. But the reason for my call is just to bring a little bit of good news to the Syracuse faithful. The Syracuse girl lacrosse team is playing Albany in the Dome tonight at 5 o'clock. Um, so I just thought I'd spread the word a little bit. For those of you who have not seen a girl lacrosse game in a long time, man, the game has changed tremendously. It's, it's a whole lot faster and a lot more exciting to watch. Syracuse has some incredibly gifted girls. So just putting the word out there. And keep your eye on my favorite gal, Allie Jimerson. She's a transfer from Albany. She was the leading point getter on Team Canada in the World Games. That girl can play, man. She's got a nose for the goal and knows how to create. So I'm just doing my little part for the lacrosse world, getting the word out there. All right, we and appreciate it, Doug. Thank you, Matt. That's right. The uh, women's game is at uh, 5 o'clock today. They've got a big stretch coming up, all ranked opponents. They have a game in the middle of next week against uh, Florida. It's a 2 o'clock game on Wednesday, not next week, the week after that, Wednesday the 7th at home, and then uh, number one Maryland comes in on the 11th, Syracuse women, Gary Gates team winning big at uh, Oregon, pulling away in the second half in their last one. All right, Paul, you ready? I, I thought we'd go in sort of uh, the reverse order they are on the, the list there, and uh, some of these takes, first of all, let me just, in, in general, this is the, kind of the last one that came in, but the whole... Su- I feel like a buzzkill saying this, but the whole sense that, oh man, that was a tough one to take or a punch in the gut or they were not favored in the game playing a number 10 team that had won five in a row coming in. You had to know going in Syracuse was 
more likely to lose that game to win than to win. They trailed the entire game and by as many as a dozen. When you're down 12, that's when you ought to start kind of bracing yourself for this to be a loss. The fact that they came back and tied the game and had a shot to win it is incredibly exciting. But I would save, you know, crushing defeat, punch to the gut. No, that was North uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame was a punch to the gut. Notre Dame was given a game away that you should have won. That one didn't apply to me last night. I, I agree completely. They it was it was disappointing how it ended. Yes. But yeah, it was not well, a it missed st- opportunity. I think it, there was a caller, and uh, I want to say it was Marty, and I'm sorry if I botched your name there, Marty, or didn't recall it correctly, but there was a caller to uh, Steve and Seth just prior to the show I was driving in that uh, summed up my thoughts. You know, they didn't blow the game or, or lose it. They missed an opportunity to have snatched uh, an exciting win. Now there's an, another one that uh, came in that was talking about how big of a choke it was, and I don't think that was – True at all. I, I think the, those all the things that are listed there to substantiate the idea that it was a choke. Now I do. I do think I will say Pascal Chuku kind of froze there uh, when getting the ball that far from the back. He does that two minutes into a game. O'Shea Brissett missing the corner three. Yeah, he's been making a few of those. He's been missing by a large margin the entire season on some of those shots. The fact that he airballed a shot uh, to me because when you say you choke. That, to me, is one of the worst things you can say about a team. The, the only thing worse that I can think of is that they quit. But when you say somebody choked, it means they crushed mentally under pressure. I don't think that happened at all. I think O'Shea missed a shot. Frank Howard missed a shot. Pascal Chukwu showed that he's uncomfortable handling the ball. He's always been uncomfortable handling the ball. They all made mistakes, Dunster. Yeah. Tyus traveled at yeah. the end of the game. But he's, he travels once or twice a game. Yeah. He not had a ball bounce off his foot two games ago for no reason. You know, at the beginning yeah. of the game. So. And he's he's your best player. So what are you going to do? Um, the idea that Jim Beheim hasn't been making adjustments or that the offense hasn't gotten better over the course of the season to me is ignorant of of what's happening and is uh, missing the point. Got a couple of those this, last night. This tweet is ridiculous. Go ahead. You got. I'm so tired of the same line with Beheim. Put your team in a better position to win, which. Couldn't have been in a much better position than last night. He hasn't adjusted the offensive all year. Uh, they were scoring 50 points a game four yeah. games ago. Uh, he has no ability to adjust during the game. I think he put the press on and they came back. Yeah. And uh, look at the last time out. Yeah, and the whole, the, you know, kind ending, it, ending with it with the, the idea voice. is, um, you know, time for a new voice on the sidelines. Well, that's not happening. You're not getting a new voice on the sideline. The same guy who's been the voice for 42 years is going to be the voice for the next period of time. He runs, you know, he's the brand of the pro, it's the entire brand of the program or even the athletic department. He's not going anywhere, nor should he. And he's responsible for bringing in the recruiting class that's going to be very good next year, et cetera. Um, that, to me, is not the issue. I think, you know, obviously there are shortcomings uh, with this team across the board, but the idea that they haven't adjusted or haven't gotten better, I think, is uh, missing the point. I think they've, they've gotten a great deal better, and if they had more games left, I think you'd be pretty encouraged about uh, where to improve. They just—they are short. They're—they're they're a man, half a man, or a man short, and so they're going to come up a little shy in some of these games. There was a game this year, and, and people that think he doesn't make adjustments during the game, and I can't remember what game it is now. A player had four threes maybe in the first half and didn't get a shot off right. in the second half of the game. Didn't take another three the rest of the game. So the people well, that, that was, don't uh, think, I want to uh, say, 
St. Bonaventure. I was going to say, Jalen Adams is St. Bonaventure. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't get another three off the rest of the game. So people that don't think he adjusts, uh, it's silly. Yeah, uh, and, and people are hurt. You know, they, They're expecting the, the team to be better than it is, but they're go, they've gone through a little dip here. Scholarship restrictions and sanctions, those things work. They, they've cost this program a bit, and they're working their way through it. Still may make the tournament this year. All right, back to discuss more of it tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Daniel Baldwin's show is next. This is ESPN Radio Syracuse.